0: You are listening to the Trex and Sci-Fi podcast number 208 for January 4th, 2009.
1: Hey, Gabular. Christmas was great. Thanks for the nice gift you gave me. You are welcome, Bob. I really enjoy the electrically-powered infrared follicle evaporator. It is called a hair dryer, Bob. Yes, a hair dryer. But I have no hair. Anyway... I got something for you too, Gabular. You did? Yes. Something that Earthlings celebrate at this seasonal occasion. What is it? What is it? I will give it to you shortly. Right now, though, I have not been able to communicate with Rico. He is taking the week off of Trex and Sci-Fi and handing it over to a geeky friend of his. Say what? Yes, really. It is Jedi Jeff from Canada. What is a Canadian? It is a large country located above the United States where they like hockey and back bacon. Oh, and they say, eh, a lot. Oh, you mean Canadian bacon. (laughs) Great Bob. He is covering the sci-fi series Earth 2. I like that show. I like, I like Tim Curry. (laughs) I like Tim Curry too. He is very spicy. (laughs) Okay. Here is your present, Gebular. Enjoy. Wow! I love ripping paper. Oh, great! Thank you! What... what, what is it? Oh... Why would you give me a human ear, Bob? Isn't that what everybody is getting right now? What? Happy New Year, Gebular! Uh, it's New Year, Bob. New Year. Oh. Never mind.
0: <laughs> Happy New Year, Crimson Sci-Fi. Hello, this is Jeff, Shadow Jeff on the Treks and Sci Fi forums, and today I'll be guest hosting the Treks and Sci Fi podcast. First off, I'd like to wish everyone a very happy new year and hope you all had the very best of the holiday season and looking forward to 2009. Second, I'd like to thank Rico for giving me this chance to guest host his podcast. I guess before I start on the topic, I'll talk a little bit about myself. Again, my name's Jeff. Um, I'm on Trex and Sci-Fi forums as Jedi Jeff. been listening to Rico's podcast for pretty well as long as he's been doing it. Uh, probably I uh, started listening um, probably a few, few months after he started uh, doing it. And uh, I really enjoy listening to the podcast each week. Um, I really like all the things like Star Trek and Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica all the movies and things like that that Rico talks about. I really enjoy it on the podcast and a lot of things that uh, Rico likes, some I also really like as well. So uh, that's why I really enjoy listening to the podcast. Also, I've met so many great people through the forums as well. Um, Made some really great friends. So uh, I just like to uh, thank everyone here for uh, uh, listening and, uh, and Rico again for giving me this chance to guest host a podcast. I guess a few other things to mention I am from Canada and I've been told I have a uh, Canadian accent so I do apologize for that I will try and speak as clearly as possible uh, but sometimes uh, unfortunately my Canadian accent slips through so I I apologize for that as well too I just got through uh, a cold so if I do still sound like I have a cold uh, I apologize for that as well Um, it's pretty well gone but uh, like anything you know there's always Little bits which kind of stick around uh, for a, a little bit. Uh, anyways, uh, enough talking about that. Um, I guess I should get on to the topic at hand for this week. And uh, the topic that I picked was I'm going to talk about the uh, television series Earth 2. Earth 2 was an NBC series which came out in the mid to early 90s. I believe it was on for just one season, 94 to 95. It was brought to us by the people of who produced uh, Miami Vice and ER's um, as well too uh, the production company was Amblin Entertainment um, I'm not sure if uh, that's a company that Steven Spielberg owns I'm not sure if he was involved with Earth too much or not or if he's just uh, his company handled it all I suspect it was probably mostly his company as he's a busy man with uh, movies and and things like that uh, anyways I just thought that was interesting to uh, note. I was thinking about how I was going to present um, the information today for Earth 2 so after some uh, consideration probably what I will do is uh, the first part I'll just talk about maybe the premise of the show then I will talk about the uh, characters and then I will play a few uh, sound clips that I got from the uh, series uh, across the series and then maybe comment on those a little bit and then I'll just finish off the uh, the discussion about Earth 2 with uh, you know just some other of my thoughts on it and uh, like I say and then that will be that anyways uh, I guess before I start talking about the uh, premise of the show I'm going to play a, a, a sound clip from the start of the first episode um, the lead character Devin Adair is just kind of talking about the whole premise of the show so I'm going to play that and then I'm going to come back and maybe talk a little bit more about the premise of the show
2: My earliest memories of it were the stories. How it was once thought so vast, infinite skies, deep seas, boundless mountain ranges. But they were only stories. I was born on the stations, just like my parents and their parents before them. It's the only life I've ever known, but I still think about those stories of Earth. And I tell them to my son as we prepare to flee this life of ours on the stations, a life that is ordered, efficient, sterile, and for a small group of children, deadly. My son is one of the unlucky ones. He was born with the syndrome.
3: Ulysses, are you listening? Do
1: you think when we get to the planet, I'll be able to... You know, like, run right out of the ship?
3: No, not right out of the ship, but in time. Now, may we please continue with our geography.
2: Six years ago, Yuli was diagnosed with a disease our medical community hesitates to even recognize. A disease not caused by the presence of a virus, but rather an absence. An absence of what nature can provide, an absence of fresh air, of fresh water, an absence of Earth.
3: And it is on this shoreline we'll be landing.
0: Yeah. So that was uh, basically maybe I guess she basically summarized the the premise of the show. Uh, Devon Adair did in that opening opening narrative. Um, basically, Earth is in 2192. Is the no longer able to be uh inhabited by men i guess basically uh it's mostly earth is mostly just miners and uh it's very hard life down there so most of humanity is kind of uh they've moved up to the um up to the big orbiting space stations which orbit earth and basically that's where most of the humans uh live now and like say only only miners and and a few other types of people live actually on earth uh, because it's not really uh it's not suitable anymore for uh, human humans to to live on. So, basically, Devon Adair, she has a son named Ulysses, and basically, he's caught in this disease called the syndrome, and, uh, and it's a f- kind of a very fatal disease, which a lot of the a um, lot of children have started to uh, to get by living on the space stations. Like she says, you know, they're just lacking elements of Earth, and you know, like saying being a few generations removed from Earth. I guess, you know, whatever's passed along in the genes on birth, the, these kids are, are lacking. And um, I guess the fear as well for uh, Devin Adair and um, her group is they, they feel possibly that humanity at some point in time will, you know, possibly die off because um, as, as more and more uh, children are born or babies are born, they might be all inflicted with this syndrome and, and like say maybe, the, you know, like, not being able to live on Earth, you know, like hum- uh, humanity might actually be- become extinct. So basically, Devon Adair has decided upon herself to take her son and 250 other families with uh, with sick children, and they're going to um, they're going to colonize a new planet, um, a new Earth-like planet, in hopes of being able to cure these these children with this syndrome. The planet they've uh, they've determined to colonize is 22 light years away from Earth. And uh, it's classified as uh, G-889 is the n- the name of the planet. Uh, that's all they ever call it in the series. And like I say, so she's decided that she's going to colonize that planet with some other families. So they start up um, something called the Eden, Eden Project, which is basically going to go and they're going to colonize this planet. Um, they're going to leave in a couple ships and uh, they're going to colonize it. One thing too about this... Um, about uh, living on the space stations is it's governed by something called the council and it sounds like it's a very strict government um, you know very authoritative over uh, many aspects of people's lives on on the space stations and uh, they don't want Devin to go to uh, colonize this new planet you know because they have you know like it's revealed throughout the series and I'll discuss about a little bit more but they have their own kind of uh, interests in this planet as well so they're kind of trying to prevent Devin from uh, leaving uh, to go to this new planet and uh, the, when we start off at the first start of the episode it's basically the uh, you know Devon's looking to leave and the uh, council and the government are, are telling her not to and basically um, what they decide to do is they're just going to basically uh, you know, plant a bomb on her ships and, and blow them up and then end that project or end that um, her, her trip to, um, to the planet by killing all the people on the, uh, on the ship so they find the bomb on the ship and they dispose of it and uh, like say so the ships aren't damaged in any way and then they decide to leave but it's a, it's a rather hurried leave because they have to leave like about about eight hours earlier than they had been planning on leaving so you know some of the uh, key personnel I- are not on the, the, the ships they're supposed to be but they have to leave so Like anything you know when you leave hurried uh, you know things are unorganized so anyways like like I say to make a long story short uh, they're able to uh, leave the space station uh, unharmed from uh, the uh, government sabotage of the of the bomb and they uh, they embark on their uh, 22 year journey it's a little different than Star Trek in that they don't have warp speed they can only really travel at the uh, speed of light or or a bit below that I guess and basically this this planet is 22 light years away so basically for them to travel to this new planet they need to go into into a cold sleep which will basically preserve their body for uh, 22 years while they're um, while they're traveling and and like say their body physically won't age at all so you know like if you go to sleep uh, like say when you're at your present body state when you wake up you'll still be you know, similar to the day that you you went to to sleep. So, like, say when these. So to make a long story short, again, I guess I'm using that term a lot. Uh, you know, after 22 uh, years, they they arrive at the uh, the planet they wish to colonize, G889. Uh, they all look the same they did the the day they left, and and they're getting ready to um, go down and colonize the planet. And um, the idea was, um, they the Eden project went and kind of. Uh, Two groups. There was the main ship, which was carrying all the families of the sick children, and then there was kind of an advanced ship, or, or called the Eden advanced ship, Devon, and a smaller group were um, were on. and their Their plan was they're going to get to this G eight eight nine planet first. They're going to they're going to land on one of the co- continents on the uh, west coast of the continent, and they're going to uh, they're going to colonize a, a new area and they're going to call it uh, New Pacifica. and That was their plan. They were going to get there, set up camp, or you know, set up the colony so when the other families arrive, that that would be all ready for them to uh, come. But um, once they get to the uh, the planet, um, the ship is sabotaged again, and it kind of goes into a, into a crash. And so basically, they have to uh, jettison all their uh, all their equipment, and everyone has to get into escape pods and uh, and escape down to the planet, which basically gets us to the premise of the show, in that they do land on the planet and they land on the continent. But on the other side of the continent that they they were planning on on landing, you know, like they they kind of landed thousands and thousands of miles away from where they they wanted to be. And as well, too, all their supplies are kind of um, thrown around around the continent. So they've crashed land in in escape pods and they don't and they have limited limited supplies and they have to get in about. Because in about two years, the the other ship, the main ship with all the families, is going to arrive at the planet, and they need to get to the other side of the continent and set up uh, New Pacifica. So basically, the show goes through basically their journeys across the planet and uh, kind of all the adventures and the and the different things that they they encounter along the way. I guess as well too unbeknownst to uh, Devin Adair's uh, Eden project was that uh, they felt that the planet or they thought the planet was uninhabited but it turned out to be that there was actually um, other uh, humans on the planet as well as some uh, alien species as well so um, throughout the weeks they kind of encounter those people and those species and, and it kind of uh, adds to the uh, intrigue of the show and their, their mission, I guess. Next up, I'm going to maybe um, kind of run through the characters in the show, talk about the different characters, and then after I'm kind of done talking about the characters, then I will go into kind of playing a few different sound clips, you know, from a few of the different episodes. So I'm going to start off here with, um, you know, writing down the cast list. There's about seven or eight different um, main cast members. Which were on the show. First off, I'll I'll talk about the uh, main uh, female lead that uh, we heard in the uh, opening uh, narrative intro. Um, That that character's name is Devin Adair, and she is the kind of the leader of the Eden Project. Her son uh, Ulysses is uh, is one of the children, which is sick with this uh, syndrome, and uh, she's decided that uh, you know he, you know, enable to uh, heal him and make him, you know, get make him healthy again. they can no longer live on the uh, space stations and she's decided that they're going to colonize this new earth-like planet which they've that she's uh, kind of scouted out uh, which was uh, G889 so she leads up the group to do that Um, she's also her family was uh, instrumental in building the space stations which a lot of the humans live in so she comes from a very wealthy family so she's able to um, basically fund this uh, mission to this new planet because She's very wealthy, so that was kind of. Uh, she's the the lead, and she's kind of the um I guess the commander, I guess in in a sense of the, of the mission to uh, this new planet G eight eight nine. Her son is called uh, Ulysses Adair, though in the series he's usually referred to as Uli, um kind of uh, short form for Ulysses. He's uh, he's a young uh, eight year. Li- old little boy who's uh who's been sick most of his life with this syndrome and basically for him to kind of um survive he needs to wear this kind of a a suit with all these kind of wires and tubes in it to just kind of you know allow him to survive and to keep him functioning it helps him breathe and helps him move things like that without this suit he'd probably be be bedridden or or, or maybe even dead so he's he's very restricted in this suit um suit almost looks kind of like uh, a Borg suit in in a sense you know there's so many parts to it and uh, he seems to move so slowly and awkwardly in it as well too it's a you can see it's very uh, uncomfortable and not not really an ideal thing for a young boy eight years old of his age to, to be wearing it uh, anyways once they get to the planet um, I guess maybe i spoil this a little bit he does uh, he does get uh, healed by the planet I'll explain it a little bit more when we uh, talk about the um, talk about some of the uh, the sound clips there. Basically, he gets healed. Uh, he meets up with a race on the planet and he gets healed. So for the majority of the uh, series, uh, he's just a n- uh, normal little boy, and you know he's he's no longer has to wear the uh, the you know kind of the uh, the medical suit or or the suit to help him live. He's he's able to uh, function normally like any other person on the planet uh, after being healed. Next up. The tutor for the Adair family, Ulysses and uh, Devin, uh, they brought along a tutor uh, named Yale, um, and he's a cyborg tutor. And his name is Yale, but that's the name of the program which he comes from. And the interesting thing about this Yale character is basically back on the space stations, the, this um, council or government... Um, they basically took all these really hardened criminals, and they basically, instead of you know throwing them in jail, they decided what they would do is they would basically wipe their mind and then insert um, you know some computer chips and some kind of robotics and things like that into them, and then um, these yales would serve different purposes. and um, And in this case, uh, this this Yale was uh, made into a tutor, and he originally. Uh, he originally was the uh, tutor for Devon, and then when uh, when Ulysses was born, then he became the uh, the tutor for uh, Ulysses. So he's almost kind of, um, uh, in a sense, um, he's kind of uh, I'm not sure if it's a proper term, but he's kind of owned, I guess, in a sense, by the Dare family. He's their kind of cyborg tutor. Later in the series, they kind of explore his character a little bit more, and he becomes more of a uh, a free individual. But um, like I said, I'll touch a bit more on on Yale as well as we go along. I guess as well too, maybe I'll backtrack a little bit here too because I forgot to mention this a bit, but um, uh, the I guess for maybe first I'll talk about Yale. The fellow who played Yale was, uh, was a gentleman named Sullivan Walker and I, I did kind of a, a search on uh, IMDB and, and uh, Wikipedia but I didn't find a lot for him. He's done some guest roles on, uh, on some procedural dramas and uh, looks like he does mostly Broadway work as well so um doesn't look like he does a lot of um like um sci-fi tv fellow who played uh ulysses adair uh his name was uh joey zimmerman as well i did a a search but uh looks like he hasn't done a lot of a uh, lot of acting in the last 10 12 15 years they uh, like say he's done a few shows here and there so um I'm not sure if he does more theater, or maybe he's gotten out of the uh, out of the business and he's, he's into something else now. I'm not really sure, but uh, it didn't look like he had a really big uh, list of uh, credits. the The female lead was uh, again, you know, as uh, the character Devin Adair was played by a lady named Deborah Ferentino and uh, from all accounts, it looks like that this Earth 2 role might be the the biggest role that she's had or the most. I shouldn't say maybe biggest, but the one she's most recognized for. Um, I looked, and looks like she's done a few things like NYPD Blue and CSI. Um, she also did show up on some more genre-type stuff. She did show up on the television series Eureka, and she also did uh, a series called The Outer Limits. So uh, sorry about that. I was going to talk about the, uh, about the actor along with the, uh, the character. So anyways, we'll, we've talked about, um, about Devin, Ulysses, and Yale. So now we'll kind of go on to the rest of Eden group and I guess the maybe the most recognizable uh, character at least to me was the uh, character of John Danziger. He's just basically he's um he's basically a fellow who came along on the mission um um as a way of to kind of pay off um you know some uh, family debt though so him and his his daughter decided they would he would decide they'd come along because uh going on these kind of deep space missions which take 22 years to um to travel uh you know like say you're, you're going to lose a, a, a good portion of your life so um, um to go on that type of mission you get paid very well and um basically this john danziger character is he's basically kind of um, just a a working a working man he works on the station uh, you know doing you know more manual type kind of labor or or just a laborer type person but he's you know unfortunately you know generations before him have assumed debt and in space station life in 2192 you basically assume the debt of your family so he's he's basically works hard to pay off the debt of his family which um, I guess basically that the debt came from his family leaving Earth and moving up to the space stations. There was a, a huge bill to pay for that, and he's he's kind of been uh, stuck paying that off. Anyways, he's the other kind of main lead, the male lead in this in this series, and he's kind of a, a foil character almost in the sense to um, to the uh, Devin Adair character, not saying that uh, he's a villain or anything like that. Um, it's just that uh, it's almost, I kind of, their relationship, I almost kind of look at similarly to their relationship uh, in the early early season of Star Trek Voyager between Jakote and uh, Captain Janeway um, in the sense that uh, they didn't always really necessarily agree. And um, basically, Devin, she's the lady who's kind of in charge of the group and, you know, she's She's kind of looking out for the best interest of her sons and the project. And then basically, um, John Danziger character, he's basically, he's a guy who's there. He doesn't really want to be there because the plan was for once, you know, they kind of helped get the ship unloaded that he was going to head back to Earth, you know, uh, with a big paycheck and hopefully be uh, debt free to uh, continue living his life. But, you know, with the ship crash landing, he's stuck on G889 so he's he's basically the face of all the people who don't really who weren't planning to stay there long term so basically throughout the series you know you can tell there's respect between him and Devin but also he'll disagree with her on decisions and you know there's a bit of conflict which will will kind of touch base a bit more as we go through the uh, sound clips, basically, why John Danziger might be the most recognizable to us sci-fi geeks is because he's played by a fellow named Clancy Brown, who's done other sci-fi work before. He was in the in the movie uh, Starship Troopers as uh, Sergeant Zim. He was he was kind of the uh, drill sergeant uh, uh, when they're on the on camp training before they went to war against the bugs. Also, too, he was in the Highlander as the Kurgan. And he's done some other, uh, he's done some other work like uh, one of his earlier roles was in the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. He's done a lot of voice work as well, like um, he's done, uh, like say, he's done working Batman, Superman. He's Mr. Krabs and some SpongeBob pa- Square ba- pa- Square pants. I'll get that out. I'll get that out all right. And also too, he's he's done some television stuff. He's a, he's actually appeared on an episode of. Uh, of Star Trek Enterprise and also he is also on a few episodes of uh, Lost as Kelvin uh, Inman next up we'll talk about John Danziger's daughter True Danziger and she's basically uh, again um, she's there kind of uh, to compliment I guess uh, Yuli in that uh, again like you know the relationship between uh, um, John Danziger and uh, Devon Adair there's some conflict there's also some um, conflict between uh, True and And Yuli, because again, you know, True wasn't planning on staying on the planet long term. But now, with them crashed landing, uh, she's stuck on that planet at least for a couple years until, you know, until they get to New Pacifica and the other ship arrives. But she, she feels, uh, feels like um, a little put out, I guess, you know, because it seems like everyone's putting a lot of attention on, uh, on Yuli. And she's kind of jealous, I guess, uh, to put it bluntly, uh, at the start of the season, season in the series uh, you know she doesn't really care for Yuli and she feels he's spoiled and uh she's also kind of looking for attention which um at times she kind of uh leads the um leads the, the group into uh you know maybe into some problems which uh uh they necessarily sh- shouldn't necessarily have had uh you know m- based kind of off this uh jealousy but uh, throughout the first season and i guess the only season she does kind of um, you know, she does kind of warm up to, uh, Yuli, and, um, you know, she becomes maybe a, a less jealous character, but, uh, you know, she's, she's a good, good character, too, you know, she, uh, she's a very, she helps her dad out quite a bit with the, uh, the equipment, because, um, Part of John Danziger's job is he he maintains a lot of the equipment that the uh, crew y- is using to uh, get across the planet. The, the actor who played uh, True Danziger is a it was a lady named uh, J. Madison Wright, and uh, this story is kind of actually a, a, a bit of a sad story. Actually, um, you know, she was something like eleven or twelve in the uh, series, and um, like I say, she hasn't done a lot of work otherwise in acting... Uh, um. Uh, mainly because uh, apparently, um, you know, after the series ended, um, she actually got a heart condition, and uh, which required her to get a heart transplant. Um, yeah, because I guess uh, her heart there was a problem with it, and the only way they could really correct it was to uh, to give her a heart transplant. So anyway, she had a heart transplant. Um, I guess um, she was helped out by uh, Clancy Brown, who played John Danziger, her father on the TV series, because they didn't, her family didn't have enough money to go through the Procedure, but anyway, so she got her heart transplant, and then she looked like she went off and and uh, Took uh, you know university or something like that, and then it was quite sad You know she got married um, like I was reading on uh, on like uh, Wikipedia that uh, she got married and her and her husband They went on a um, on a honeymoon and then shortly after um, When she just got back from her honeymoon like a couple of weeks after they were married um she had a heart, heart attack and she passed away at um, like 21, 22, very young age. So very, very sad, sad story. You know, it's like say you never really like to to read, read stories like that. And, and to be such a young girl, I, I like say, you know, still quite uh, young in her career. I hadn't really lived a lot of life for that to happen. It's quite sad. You know, like say, you know, they were able to replace her heart. And then unfortunately, a, a few years later, you know, it, it just, it didn't work out for her and she passed away. So uh, like say, a sad story and always, you know, when I watch the, watch the show, I always feel a little, little sad that the, the actor uh, had passed away so early. Up next, I'll talk about the, uh, the doctor on the, on the series is, um, a lady named ca- called Dr. Julia Heller and, um, Basically, she's kind of a junior doctor, but she's got some similarities to um, Dr. Bashir in that uh, she was kind of genetically enhanced to be a doctor. Uh, like say, they basically, uh, with the genetics, they basically changed them around so that she would be, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, kind of a smart doctor or, or, or predestined disposed to kind of medicine. That's kind of interesting about the character. Um, Like kind of right at the start she's kind of like the most junior doctor on the mission but like I was indicating um, they had to leave rather early so the more senior doctors uh, you know they were on the other ship when they left so uh, she's the only doctor they have on the on the advanced ship Um, so like say it's a bit of a trial by fire for Dr. Heller. Also too she has another kind of side to her in that um, she works for the, uh, for for kind of the go- government or the council, and she's kind of uh, she's kind of been planted as a spy in the mission, uh, and she's she kind of reports back to the government, unbeknownst to the Eden uh, Eden project. Uh, she's kind of uh, spying on them, and um, like I say I will get into it a bit more later when we do the sound clips because it does add to it's, it's a rather. big big kind of story arc in the uh, in the series so I'm not going to talk too much about it right here the lady who played Dr. Heller was a, a Canadian lady named Jessica Steen she's done some kind of uh genre work before she played another doctor on uh Stargate SG-1 as well so she's I guess she's kind of uh known for uh doctor work in in sci-fi series as well too she also was in uh, Armageddon as well as a shuttle pilot. So she's, uh, she's done a bit of uh, sci-fi work. Um, you know, the other work, uh, not a lot of other genre work from what I could tell. The next person I'm going to talk about is the kind of the pilot uh, of this series. He's uh, almost, I don't know, maybe the uh, major west, I guess, if uh, I use a lost in space uh, term. Major west of the uh, the group. Uh, his name is Alonzo Solis and basically he's the the pilot again his job was basically to fly the advanced ship or set it up to fly and then he would um, go into into deeper cold sleep with the rest and they call him kind of uh, they call these pilots uh, sleep jumpers and basically Alonzo like the character in the show he's only in his 20s but uh, uh, it's revealed throughout the series that he's actually hundred and ten because because uh, he spends all this time in these kind of um, deep missions these cold sleep missions so he, you know, like I say, he's, he hasn't really encountered or, or spent much time uh, on the space stations or even with humans much because uh, most of his time has been spent, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, kind of flying ships, you know, on these, these long missions. So he's, he's kind of a key as well, too. He's a, he's a key in this series in that part the reason what, since he's a um, pilot and he's done a lot of these cold sleeps th- in that he doesn't really sleep. Um, he doesn't sleep well or he doesn't dream he kind of indicates at the start of the series, and then this kind of becomes kind of more pivotal in the in the series, in that he becomes kind of a um, the communications point uh, between the mission, the Eden Eden Project or the Eden mission, and and some of the species on the planets, because they they kind of use um, dreaming as kind of a form of communicating, and they've and he seems to be predisposed to to that sort of uh, communication. So uh, he becomes kind of a a pivotal character in the series more so than just being the the pilot. He's kind of the, you know, he's he's the kind of the link between um, kind of the primary species on the planet and and the group. But again, when we get into some sound clips, um, I'll talk a bit more about it. Fellow who, was, who played him is a is a fellow named Antonio Sabato Jr. who's he's mostly known for work in soap operas like General Hospital and uh, Days of Our Lives things like that. Um, also too, he's done a, a bit of uh, genre work. He was in uh, Lois and Clark and he was in The Outer Limits. Also too, when I was looking on uh, like Wikipedia and IMDb, I guess he's a big Batman collector, so he has a, a rather large Batman collection. And I'll go on to the final couple characters on the series. Um, we have one married couple called uh, Morgan and Bess Martin. And basically, um, they're a couple. They're the only married couple in the group. Uh, Morgan is basically a mid-level bureaucrat for the government. And Bess is different in that she's the only person who actually grew up on Earth. So she's the only one who has really experience in an Earth-like uh, situation as uh, since everyone else has kind of lived on space stations. Um she's the only one who who actually grew up in on earth because her her uh, father and her family were minors so so she kind of knows how to handle herself on uh, on earth and uh, Morgan he's basically like say he's a mid-level bureaucrat uh, if I was to uh, sum up his character uh, pretty well in this series um, if anyone's uh, familiar with lost in space he's kind of the uh, dr. smith character. He's not out to sabotage the group, but uh he's very uh he his concern is really only himself and uh everyone else is uh everyone else is, is not important, kinda similar to uh Dr. Smith in Lost in Space, you know, only kind of worried about himself. Same thing with Morgan, you know, he just, just worries about himself and uh I don't know, like I say isn't particularly uh well liked uh with the other members in the uh, Eden uh, group. Uh, the the actors who um who played uh, played them um, the lady who played uh, Bess Martin was uh, a lady named uh, Rebecca Gayhart um you know she's she's also kind of a, a familiar face I guess um you know she appeared on Beverly Hills 90210 she did um a lot of cosmetics uh, commercials uh, you know like I remember seeing her uh, on a lot of um different I, I can't remember if it was Avon or or a few other Cosmetics companies. Um, she used to do a lot of commercials for that. She hasn't done a lot of genre work um, She did appear on sliders does have kind of a I guess kind of a cloud hanging over her head or a, a dark note in the sense that uh, she She had a traffic accident back in 2001 in which uh, basically she uh, She killed a, a boy who was walking across the across the street. I guess I um, it was he wasn't rocking across a marked uh, crosswalk but um, some other cars were, were stopped and she was on her cell phone and um, and uh, she didn't stop and, and she hit him and unfortunately he passed away. guess um, ca- she she got sentenced but I don't believe she did any jail time. Uh, I think it was more community service time and had to pay a, t- pay a fine but kind of a tragic uh, tragic uh, story there and I, I suspect uh, nothing anyone really ever likes fellow who played uh, Morgan Martin. um, His name was John Gagan Huber and for the most part he hasn't done a lot of work. Um, uh, The thing of most note was he um, actually appeared on uh, three episodes of Star Trek Voyager so uh, that was probably uh, besides um, Earth 2 this is probably his most uh, recognizable roles. So anyways that that's kind of the main characters and I'm going to pause now, and then I'm going to come back with some, uh, with some audio clips. Do you love music? Have you found yourself saying this? You know,
4: popular music just doesn't have enough Star Trek or sci-fi references. Well, you're in good company, and you're in luck, because now you can have your great music and geeky references all with my new Star Trek and sci-fi parody music page. Yep, that's right. I was tired of waiting around for my favorite artists to write Star Trek songs. So I borrowed their music and I made it myself. And now you can enjoy it for free. Check out hits like Another One Becomes Us or Life is Just a Holodeck, Ship in a Bottle, and Humans Playing Jot." That's just a few. Head over to www.christrocks.com slash parody and treat yourself to a plethora of Star Trek and sci-fi MP3s. Inspired by Rick Doste's Treks and Sci-Fi Podcast, I have a whole page dedicated to music that every geek will love. So, log on today and head to www.christrocks.com slash parody. You won't be sorry. Rock on, fellow
0: geeks. Well, I'm back here, so uh, now I'm going to kind of go through some uh, audio clips here. And the first um, kind of clips I'm going to run is basically maybe... I felt maybe just kind of set the tone. I'm going to play a couple clips basically where we've got kind of some key characters uh, meeting. First one I'm going to run is kind of basically the first meeting between uh, uh, Yuli and Yale meeting uh, True and this is on the space station or the spaceship I should say.
1: Please don't stare at me. I'm not.
3: Julie, don't wear yourself out now. Well, hello. We'd heard there was another child on board.
1: My dad said they stopped the O program, that you all went crazy.
3: A few of the Yales did have faint recall of their criminal past.
1: He doesn't have a memory glitch.
3: <laughs>
1: He's a great tutor. <laughs>
3: Well, I'm I'm sorry that we are parting ways at G889. We all could have gotten to know one another.
0: Yeah. So basically, there was the uh, first meeting between True and Yuli and Yale, and you can kind of get the the feeling there that uh, that True doesn't really care for. Uh, Yuli and Yale. She kind of staring at uh, Yuli because he's in his kind of his uh, environment suit. You can kind of hear him at the start of that clip kind of walking. Uh, it sounds kind of hydraulic sounds there. That's kind of him walking and breathing in his suit. And then she kind of makes a, a comment about the uh, the Yales and about how um, you know she doesn't think much of the program and you know that she you know she heard some bad things about it and uh, not a very pleasant encounter. You know, and they, you know, Yale kind of makes the, at the point that he's, swear that they're going to be uh, leaving each other at when they get to G889, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't sound like he's too sad about that. So uh, anyways, uh, I'll go on to the, um, to my next clip, which is uh, a clip between Danziger and Devin, and this is kind of their first kind of um, formal meeting per se. Excuse me. No,
5: you just to... Excuse me. Yeah. Am I hearing this right? Are you planning a trip or something?
2: We're charting our way to New Pacifica, where we dropped our communications station.
5: Give me a minute with your boss here, will you? It's OK. I'm a good guy. You're crazier than I'd heard. You can't just drag this group across whatever the hell landmass this is. Half of us weren't even supposed to set foot on this planet.
2: And I'm sorry for that. But we didn't come this far to stop now.
5: What a dare We have crashed onto this planet. We have lost most of our cargo. I just saw a man get killed by a rodent, for crying out loud. Maybe you haven't noticed it, but your plans have changed. The New Pacific is not the priority anymore.
2: It certainly is a priority for 248 families on our colony ship. 26 months from now, they'll be here. And I've promised them a fully operational outpost.
5: That's your mission, lady. <laughs> That's your mission. Half of us are hired hands here.
2: You read the risk disclosure when you took this job, and you were paid four times the standard cryo-sleep rate. And don't you dare invoke Broderick O'Neill's death here. The man was my friend.
5: It's not about contracts or friendship. It is about survival. You want to move on? I say you put it to a vote.
2: Thanks for your advice, Mister Danziger. What I really need right now is a trans rover that's operational. Think you can handle that?
0: So you can kind of see uh, again, uh, as I was mentioning before, uh, there's a bit of uh, a bit of conflict between um, between Danziger and Devon. Uh, unless they don't necessarily agree with each other. Like I was mentioning. Uh, you know, half the half the people you know on the planet weren't planning on uh, on on actually coming down or even staying so uh, you know, it certainly wasn't uh, wasn't in their plans uh, you know like I say he's not too happy about uh, the situation and he's kind of letting Devin who's the the commander know they mentioned um, uh, commander Broderick. he was kind of he was another fellow who was on the ship he was kind of more the um, you know Devin is kind of in charge of the the project but she's not really a um, operational type person or or a person who'd be able to uh, command a project uh, command a kind of an expedition like this and they had a a fellow named Commander Broderick and uh, what had happened uh, to him was um, they ran across a a little kind of uh, monkey like um, species that True actually found and they ran across uh, this creature and she had carried it along with them while they were traveling and this creature has its claws I guess um when it gets um frightened it 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 shoots its claws at at uh at at the attacker or whoever it thinks it's an attacker and they had and uh, com- the commander had run across this and he'd gotten hit with this um with this claw and uh they had actually felt he died and actually in the end it's it's revealed later that it's actually only kind of puts them in a coma for a or a day or so and so they were actually all quite shocked that they actually um, actually thought he was dead, and they actually went and buried him. Uh, you know, he he appeared in in a in a next episode. They are, they did retrieve him. Uh, he like I say I'll talk a little bit more about him a little later. But uh, anyways. Um, we kind of set up the main type of um, conflict between uh, two main leads with uh, Devin and Danziger here. Uh, the next one is uh, kind of some further stuff with um, Devin and Danziger. They they certainly, in the early episodes, they certainly had a lot where uh, they're kind of at each other a bit. Um, you know, each kind of wanting kind of maybe, uh, you know, different, uh, different expectations, I guess. But uh, I guess... You know, at the end of the day, they both want what's best for the uh, for the, for the group. They're just kind of going about it different ways.
5: Listen. Don't ask my advice if your mind is made up, okay?
2: I considered your opinion. I just... Want to do it your way. Yeah. I am capable of making a decision, you know.
5: I'll bet you've had lots of experience heading up your own multi-orbit firm and all.
2: <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I did. And, uh, For the record, I was not spoiled. My parents were very strict and expected a lot of me.
5: Must have been tough.
2: Oh, I'm sure it didn't compare to life in the quadrant.
5: What, you run biostats
2: on all of us? Yell has everyone's job applications on file. I've scanned them.
5: So you got me pigeonholed, huh? Third generation indentured stiff, problem with authority, working to pay off the debt of his grandparents' passage up. Is that it?
2: It would help me to understand why a man like you would sign on for a job like this. A man
5: like me would be damned if he's going to pass his debt on to his kid. True's not going to grow up and be a drone.
2: Please don't use that term.
5: Oh, I'm sorry. Immigrant worker, that's what you bluebloods say, isn't it? At least in the quadrant, we knew we were drones.
2: Look, inherited debt is terribly unjust. A lot of us were working to amend that law.
5: Yeah, yeah, and as soon as we get to New Pacifica, you're going to send me home a rich man, there.
2: Actually, I issued payroll on departure. Back on the stations, you are already debt-free.
5: Oh, yeah? Then how come here on planet G-889 you still act like the boss?
0: So you can see there, there's some more kind of, uh, you know, tension between uh, Danziger and Devin. Um, they explore a little bit of the, um, you know, I guess there is a kind of a a class difference or class structure there you know she comes from a more privileged uh, lifestyle him not so much so you know there's some resentment uh, between that um, actually that's explored a little bit more as well too between um, the marriage of uh, Bess and Morgan as well too uh, like I mentioned you know Morgan is a more of a, a bureaucrat uh, you know more privileged lifestyle Bess you know she came from Earth uh, Miner's family so you know throughout the episodes they have a little bit of uh, issues I guess uh, you know like Bess and Morgan with the uh, you know the you know kind of both their upbringings but um, the main one here is is kinda of Devin and Danziger you know again you know kinda of, um this kinda of, uh, kinda of sets up you know the the, the kinda of the differences or, or the kinda of the conflicts at the time uh, a lot of people feel and I I feel feel likewise and was kind of eluded in some of the later episodes that uh, there might be a something a little more there between uh, devin and Danziger and if the if the series had kind of went on that uh, most likely they probably would have gotten romantically involved which um probably it, it seems like uh, that's where it was heading um you know like even though no they they kind of disagreed or 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 fought at times you You did see that they both did respect each other. I'm kind of going to go on, you know, kind of move out of this, um, these sets of um, sound clips. And I'm going to talk next about um, one of the um, first things they kind of encounter on the planet is a is like say Yuli is sick. And for him to get better, they encounter this race called the Tarians. They're one of um, like three kind of races that they they kind of encounter on this planet and the terrians are kind of they're very close to the um earth like say them and and that planet are are kind of one they travel through kind of they travel through the dirt um like say every time they kind of come they they kind of come up through the dirt um so they can it's kind of kind of been mentioned that they swim through the swim through the the dirt i guess and, and they're kind of they're almost like it's kind of like the planet they're like kind of the the face of the planet, or you know, the way that um, people interact with the planet, because uh, um, the Tarians bond with the, with the planet is is very um, very close. So my next uh, clip will just be a little bit of an explanation about the Tarians.
6: Okay, easy. Yeah, I think I got it.
7: I wish you'd let me get closer.
6: Look, we don't want to scare him, away.
0: Here.
7: I've never seen anything like it before. Factors all across the board, the spectral function can't decide if it's animal, vegetable, or mineral.
6: That's a he, they all are, according to him.
7: Can you understand what it's saying?
6: It's just the feelings. What's he feeling? It's just the same thing over and over, that they aren't trying to hurt Yuli. See, I think our promise made a bond. And when the Terrans suffer, Yuli does too.
0: What does he want us
6: to do? I think he was hoping we'd know.
0: Yeah, so this this one explains a little bit about the Tarians. Again, like say, I mentioned earlier, Alonzo, the uh, the pilot, um, he's able to kind of communicate with the Tarians, and he does that through dreaming. Um, like say, so usually when they're talking to the Tarians, um, Alonzo is close by as well because uh, he's got that ability to communicate with them play one more uh, kind of clip about about the Tarians. Again, uh, Dr. Heller, which we heard, and Alonzo, again, they're talking about the Tarians here.
7: Alonzo? You all right?
6: They're Tarians.
7: What? They're Tarians? What did you say?
6: The creatures. The ones who swim off from the earth.
7: Alonzo, are you with me? How do you know what they're called?
6: Because I talked to them.
0: I talk to them. So yeah, so Alonzo is the uh, he's the fellow who kind of communicates with the Terrians. Like say, so every time, like I said I mentioned before, every time they need to kind of contact, if the Terrians need to contact uh, the uh, Eden crew, they usually go through uh, Alonzo. Now I'm going to play kind of, um, this is them in the kind of their, um, in their dream, dreamscape or, or kind of dream mode. Devon and Alonzo are kind of in this kind of dreaming state where they're kind of communicating with the Terrians. They fear
6: us. They're confused by us.
0: Why?
2: Why are they doing this?
6: They're aware you are special, different. The abduction is an attempt to understand us through him. This dream plane is real. It is the only way they can reach us.
0: So yeah, that's um. Basically, the uh, Tarians. Um, that kind of explains how they communicate with Alonzo. Um, they they do that through dreaming. Throughout this the show, they'll kind of show you know Alonzo and his dreams and the Tarians and kind of how the communication happens between the tra- Tarians and uh, and Alonzo and the Eden crew. Next up, I'm going to talk about probably the uh, primary villain in the series. Uh, he came up right at the start. It was um was this astronaut? I guess or he said he was an astronaut, and then we found out later that uh, he's actually a penal colony person because the council was using the planet G889 as a penal colony, and they would uh, they drop prisoners on the planet and use them to kind of study the planet to see if they could use it for um, for ha- habitation. So Gaul was kind of the you know they kind of ran across him at first, and they he told them he was a, a kind of a lost astronaut, but. Um, Later, it was discovered that he was actually a, a penal colony, and he was really—he didn't really want any good interest for the um, for the Eden crew. He was just kind of playing crazy, actually. And uh, Gall was actually played by a fellow named uh, Tim Curry, who's uh, most well known for uh, the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and uh, I think he does just a fantastic job with this role. He's just every every scene he is in—he's he's just stealing it. So, anyways, here's him. Here's Gaul, and he's explaining the uh, penal colony to um, Commander Broderick, which uh, I explained earlier uh, was, uh, was a fellow who was killed, and he, he didn't die, and then um, I guess he kind of dies again.
8: Just call me a magpie, Commander.
1: <laughs>
8: <laughs> I got told me you weren't Ponto 7. Thought it was a pretty good story myself. Fooled the others. Who the hell are you? How'd you get here? Oh, I'm just a poor boy being punished, Commander. Figured they were keeping this place a secret. I assumed that a man of your rank. You weren't sent here alone, were you? Oh, I had company. Others like myself who the space stations didn't want around anymore. So here they sent us. The undesirables. Killers, rapists. To a penal colony. Well, what the hell happened with the others? We were craven, Commander. Only I, mean, I was just a tad more craven than the others. I won the survival contest. Why don't you have a weapon, Commander? That makes you think I don't? Because I guess you would have used it by now. No, not necessarily. No! Do you want to die, Commander? It? Because I can accommodate you. I've killed twenty-six now. Twenty under stations. Six after I got here. Your friends are in peril, Commander. In time, the women needy of guidance will follow me. And the men, they will follow you. Don't
1: you hurt the others?
8: do it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so basically, um, that sums up uh, Gaul there and, and the planet, I guess, in the sense that it's a penal colony. Uh, later in, in the series, um, the, uh, the Eden group kind of meet up with some other uh, penal colonists, uh, which aren't quite as um, crazy, I guess, as, as Gaul is. Um, I say Gaul, he's just, he's just playing crazy probably because he's been on the, on the planet for so long by himself, but uh, sounds like he was a pretty bad guy. Uh, to begin with um, and anyways uh, the scene kind of ended with him kind of killing the uh, killing uh, the commander there uh, because uh, the commander had found his his secret uh, that he was uh, a penal colonist uh, later you know um, later episodes um, the Eden crew uh, find out uh, through Yale uh, that uh, Gaul isn't all he it makes himself out to be and to kind of he kind of tried to um work himself into the uh into the group and he was kind of uh manipulating uh true uh danziger's daughter because uh again you know she was kind of jealous of yuli so um so gall kind of worked off that uh you know to kind of gain her trust uh you know because he's trying to gain access to some of the the equipment uh, that they used they had some big kind of uh kind of vehicles that they used to travel across the um across the planet you know they'd come across their uh they're kind of cargo t- containers, and, and they found some uh, equipment. And Gall wanted some of the vehicles to uh, transport himself around, so he's trying to uh, manipulate uh, True to get at that. Uh, at at that, um, I'll play this scene. It's just I really like Gall scenes, so I, I'm gonna play another one because it's just he's just such a, a wonderful actor. Here's one with him and True.
8: My puppet, what big eyes you have! No. I won't hurt you.
1: You... you... you put blood... You... you fed your blood to the grandmother's. My father was right. All you want is our stuff. You're nothing but... but a lying thief. You... little poppet.
8: So much anger, so much fear, so much venom.
1: Let it go. Don't touch me.
8: I'm the wronged party, little one. Your father has banished me. He doesn't want me around you. He wants you to be obedient, pliant, and he'll erase anyone who inspires you, challenges you to greatness. Oh, yes, my dove. Why does he try to kill your sparkle, your spirited voice? Why does he manacle you with that wrist bracelet? I can't come with you. I only wanted to follow you. That was my only motivation for a vehicle. Your father didn't say
1: you couldn't come with us.
8: Oh, yes, he did. And I go with a heavy heart. Because you and I, we're kindred spirits, aren't we? You must trust me, Poppy. fashioned especially for you. You whistle and I will come for you. The Grendlers know how to find me. Uh, I don't think
1: my father would like me whistling for you.
8: Whistle for yourself, true.
0: Yeah, so you can see that he's uh He's basically he's not very liked by the uh, by the other group, and he's basically tried to um, trying to manipulate uh, True into uh, you know kind of uh, you know getting what he wants, which is, it was kind of the equipment, and uh, I guess maybe just to do some bad things as well to the to the group. So he, and he plays quite well on True uh, later on. Um, you know she uh, she does kind of uh, get past her jealousy and, and realize. How bad of a person that uh, Gaul really is. Um, In the clips also, you heard him mention, uh, talk about these uh, grandlers. And uh, this is another species that they encounter on the planet, and uh, they're kind of really ugly-looking, uh, kind of squat uh, creatures. Uh, they kind of, um, they're kind of the uh, Ferengi, I guess, of the uh, of this series, because they're kind of traders. They're uh, kind of ugly-looking things, really, you know, kind of sloppy, ugly, you know, kind of drippy, gross things. Um, but really, they're kind of really interesting, fun. Fun uh, creatures to watch, and uh, I'm gonna play a uh, a clip here where um, the Eden crew encounters a Grendler.
2: What is
8: it? Easy. Let me deal with the creature.
5: Yeah, come check this out. Mangiest looking man. thing in the whole universe
3: wouldn't even wipe his mouth. I think I'm gonna puke. Well, we shouldn't judge these grandlers by our standards of good hygiene. Oh, he's quite an and he's ball. coming back. Hey, he's coming!
2: What happened?
8: Your good commander is still alive. Oh. They have him. That one said he knows where he is. So how do we get him back? Gren doesn't want to trade. They ask for your three power generators. Our generators, we won't survive without them. I, I talked him down. To what? One.
0: Yeah, so basically these Grendlers, they're they are kind of into trading. And uh, throughout this series, uh, you know, Bess actually uh, traded a lot with Grendlers. Uh, Morgan, uh, there's a funny scene where Morgan uh, had to, um, he had to get some of this, the saliva from the Grendler. And uh, he basically traded as well. He ended up trading his clothes. It was kind of humorous. Um, also, here's a another explanation of the Grendlers um, from Gaul, which um, sums them up pretty good.
2: Hi.
7: Um, last night when you came to us so bruised and beaten, how did you get so hurt?
8: Grendlers? I... Grendlers are what I call them anyway. Slobbery rodents wouldn't... Blink to rip the arm from your shoulder, and they could. Because you haven't had the pleasure.
6: No. Ah, uh, I. I think I've seen one of those things. Short, squat, ugly thing. Hi, I'm Morgan Martin, Deputy Secretary of Interstellar Development. How are you?
8: Guess you've seen one, then, friend. Last night when I saw the lights from your camp, I thought it was a mirage. My rescue is here finally after all these years. Then two of them ambushed me, cleaned me out of everything I had.
7: We had a cargo pod. Everything that we brought was stolen,
8: an aircraft, vehicles. The Grendler's way. Traders by nature, but not above a little larceny.
0: Yeah, so that pretty well sums up the Grindler's, uh it's pretty good uh, like say that like say they like I said earlier in the uh, podcast here like um when they crashed they had dropped their um, ply containers um throughout the continent and they found a few but they were always kind of um you know they're already kind of rampaged and everything was stolen and uh, and they uh, they figured it was these these which should uh, take them and they ran across them a few times. They end up have, kind of having to trade for some of their stuff back from the Grendlers, and that was kind of the way the Grendlers are, even when they met kind of good Grendlers, they still just wanted to trade. They would never really give anything away for free, so so but they're like say interesting characters, kind of the Ferengi of, of Earth 2, I guess, in a sense. Um, the next clip I'm going to play is kind of um. As I mentioned before, Doctor Heller, you know, she was also kind of uh, a spy for the Council on the on the show, and uh, you know, so she kind of um, they what they wore, um, they had all this little kind of interesting kind of um, gadgets and gear that they they wore to kind of communicate with each other. They had something which was called a, a VR gear, which um, Doctor Heller used to communicate with the uh, Council because they're so far away, and it and appeared that. Um, that the the council had some sort of satellite or something and orbiting the the planet, and um, she had a contact on there that uh, she kind of uh, communicated with, and he would uh, uh, pass along kind of the uh, what the council wanted of her, um, you know, and she report back on on some of the things um, uh, they're finding on the planet. Uh, they're mostly interested in uh, Yuli actually. The council is very interested in Yuli because uh, with Yuli. You know, he kind of made this bond with the planet, which um, they kind of felt was kind of uh, very important, um, you know, to the possible colonization of the planet. Because the council as well, like I said, I mentioned before, was also very interested in this planet as well. And uh, they were going at it a, a bit differently, like I say, using um, penal colonists to kind of gather information. So anyways, here's, um, here's a clip of uh, Dr. Heller talking with her contact. Heller in. Citizen Heller. We'll
6: dispense with the formalities.
7: The boy's exhibiting traits attributable to his interactions with the Tarians.
6: Is he aware of this? Somewhat. They know not what they have. Do you know what they have, Heller? I'm not sure. They have the key to this planet. What do you mean? We've known for years we can't take this place. We cannot sublimate the Terran population. They have a symbiosis with the land, an interdependency. The very planet would die without them which is counter to a healthy expansionist movement, isn't it?
7: And you think the boy provides the ability to take the planet? The boy is touched. Suppose we could take the essence of how he has changed, duplicate it, control it, and then give a home to all of those desolate people floating in space. And how do you propose to acquire the essence of how the boy has changed?
6: There is a place at the base of all of our brains For hundreds of years, science has speculated is the location of the human soul.
7: That's never been fully proven that the pineal gland is that.
6: This is where the change begins. How do you know? Twelve years ago, I found that to be the case on a convict child. I tried to remove it myself.
7: Are you out of your mind?
6: Oh, no, no, most certainly not. However, I have but a fraction of the medical expertise of someone like yourself. That is why you will harvest it from the boy. And do not plead medical ethics with me, Doctor. You are a prodigy of the system. The system owns your ethical choices.
0: Yeah, so there's a kind of um, that kind of sums up the uh, Council's interest in the planet, and in particular, Yuli, because he's kind of made this link. With the the planet and uh, like say they see him as being the key to take that planet and uh, like say Doctor Heller was working with the council without um, devin's knowledge on this. Uh, you know she's kind of reporting back to them later in the series. They do find out that she's uh, she's kind of working with the council because she did some testing on Yuli and like say devin wasn't too happy about that. Um, they actually. Um, they actually, uh, actually left her, actually, uh, once um, they left her because they didn't want her with the team anymore um, after they found out she was working with the council. But, uh, you know, they they kind of um, found that they needed her again and, and she uh, kind of disassociated herself with the uh, the council in the end and became kind of a, more of a member of the Eden crew. But uh, there you hear, like, say how, you know, how the council's very interested in Yuli. Actually, I, I guess I should note here, too, um, her contact's name is Riley and um, I guess you, you probably noticed that uh, voice there, that's the voice of uh, a fellow named Terrell Quinn who um, I guess if you watch Lost, uh, he's John Locke on Lost. Um, so this is one of his earlier roles. He's also appeared on, uh, on Millennium and uh, The X-Files so he's, uh, he's quite well known in genre type kind of TV. Uh, they talk about the importance of Yuli and the key to the planet. And here's another clip where Julia is explaining the uh, the importance of uh, Yuli uh, and the planet.
7: Devin, don't give me that stare. You've had this coming for a long time. The council could not have tried harder to dissuade you from coming here. I mean, if
2: it was so damned important, why couldn't they just tell me themselves? <sighs> no
7: project in space station history has ever needed the secrecy that this one has. If the general population knew that this planet existed, there would be an exodus ten times the size of the 81 Skylift.
2: What does all this have to do with my son?
7: The Council is testing five planets for resettlement. The most promising candidate is this one. But we can't resettle until they figure out some way to control the planet. You mean control the Terrians? If they remove the Terrians, the planet starts to die. It's pretty hopeless until a sick little boy comes along. Something about this boy makes the alien world give a piece of itself to make the boy whole. Yuli is the key to human acceptance on this planet. The Terrians have chosen him for reasons that we can't understand, but we have to respect it. There is a whole world of people at home depending on us.
0: Yeah, so that kind of, uh, again, kind of sums up the importance of uh, Yuli uh, and the uh, Tarians and the planet in that um, the Council had kind of tried before to uh, inhabitate the planet, but uh, and, you know, like I say, they, they were never able to make that kind of that connection with the Tarians, which, uh, again, are kind of the face of the planet, or they're almost kind of like, like a, a humanoid form of the planet. Um, like the Tarians are kind of these big, kind of um, these dirty-looking guys. They almost... They just look like something made out of dirt, almost. But, anyways, uh, like say they, you know, they they went and they healed Yuli, and then they're kind of connected. Yuli is connected to the, the Terrians, and he's connected to the planet, and and they feel, you know, Yuli is kind of that key to, you know, allowing, you know, humanity or mankind inhabitating that planet and uh, so the council is quite interested uh, with Yuli. Um, My final clip here is uh, as as they go along as they uh, trek along in the um, in the series they run across um, you know like I mentioned you know the council was using it as a penal colony and then what they did is they had all these uh, prisoners on the uh, on the planet and then they sent these these kind of um, these modified type kind of soldiers um, who would basically go and they would um, hunt down the uh, the prisoners and instead of just killing them uh, quickly they they would kind of kill them slowly and then they would basically gather information on the planet from the prisoners and then report that back to to the uh, the council and this was kind of how the council was um Kind of um, investigating the uh, the planet and um, the Eden crew or Eden project kind of ran across um, something which they called a Zed, and here is um, here's a little clip about the Zed here.
2: So, how are you feeling? <laughs> hmm?
3: All right, considering how is Alonso?
2: He's going to be okay.
3: Hmm. Any ideas who's shooting at us?
2: Theory. I was hoping maybe you could confirm it.
3: Hmm.
2: Have you ever heard of a Zed? Zed?
3: That's what's shooting at us. Yes. Stands for zero emotional defects. A secret offshoot of the Yale program. It was halted in a planning stage.
2: You mean they're human?
3: They were at one point. Criminals, is not unlike myself. The program stripped them of all emotional capabilities. This time, tutors weren't enough. They wanted super soldiers. 14 officers died training 10 or 12 prototypes.
2: Do you know of any way to stop them?
3: Zeds are ruthless. They have no emotions whatsoever. They are considered unstoppable. Used in the mining province of Risings on Earth in late 2180. Three Z units quelled an entire province, killing hundreds of mine workers in days. The incendiary worm bullet became their signature. It seeks a body's extremities for impact. Then works its way to the torso during the interrogation stage. The titanium phosphorus blast incinerates the victim from within, leaving no remains.
0: Yeah, so these Zed soldiers are pretty—they're uh, pretty tough guys. They're pretty uh, pretty cold guys, and the Council were using them to kind of, I uh, say, gather information on the planet. Uh, and then just have them track down the the like say the, the prisoners or the penal colonists and uh, like say instead of killing them quickly they'd kind of they they had this bullet which um, kind of work itself uh, through the body uh, very slowly and then they would uh, basically question the uh, the pen- penal colonist and, and get the information and report that back to the the council so anyways that's um that's kind of my uh my summary of the series I'm just going to take a quick break here.
7: He is starting to quote Star Wars. Yay! And and he does it in character. Like he quoted Luke Skywalker recently when my uh, SUV broke down in the Target parking lot. Oh, no. And it was such a pain in the rear to fix it. And David had to have it towed because, I mean, he's a pretty good mechanic, but he couldn't fix this problem, not Aww. in the parking lot. So, But later on our way home, we were just so exhausted. It was like 9 o'clock at night, and we're on our way home after him crawling around under this SUV in the parking lot and getting his nice business clothes all oily and everything, he still retained the humor enough to turn to me halfway home and say, Uncle Owen, this R2 unit has a bad motivator. And I said, uh, Hey, what are you trying to push on me? <laughs> you know, you just earned your geek cred right there wh- like like by quoting of geek Star geek Wars. Cred. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he just
0: laughed what would have
7: been really funny is if while he was working on it
0: you should have been like would it help if i got out and pushed
7: (laughs) (laughs) i could have but at that moment probably not a good idea not a good idea i'm jen and i'm angela and when you're not listening to this glorious podcast we would love to have you listen to ours The Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com.
0: So I'm finished with the uh, the sound clips and now I'm just kind of going to maybe talk a little bit more about the series and then just kind of finish off the podcast so it's running a little bit long here. But uh, anyways, I thought Earth 2 is a great series. Also, too, they had some uh, interesting kind of um, technological type things. Like they had some, uh, like say their vehicles were quite interesting. They're kind of solar powered type kind of vehicles, uh, big, large kind of vehicles with big tires, uh, kind of things which could run across different terrains um, you know big knobby tires on them that was kind of the vehicles they'd used um, they would found them in one of their um, their storage compartments um, so they were using vehicles and a lot of walking also too, like when they went out of scouting trips and all that they'd always keep in contact with something called gear there was I talked about the the VR gear before which um, they used to uh, you know like uh, Julia used to co- talk with the council this V they had two types of gear they had a uh, uh, kind of this one type of gear which just kind of allowed them to kind of um, communicate with each other is almost kind of like a I guess like a communicator I guess in a sense but uh, you know they put it over their eye and then you could kind of see the person's face and some information about them and they'd kind of communicate over gear gear that way and then they had this VR gear which um, which basically uh, they snapped over both their eyes it's just a small little piece of uh, equipment and they snapped that over their eyes and it was almost kind of like a holodeck they had a couple episodes where um like they had a a wedding for the the martins where they're all kind of at a nice reception they're all dressed in nice clothes but in reality uh, they're all just kind of just standing on the planet in their their normal clothes so it was almost kind of like a a holodeck also too they had a um a robot which they um they brought along as well too called zero and he was he'd kind of help the group out you know he'd all equipment or he'd go into dangerous situations um I almost again uh, another lost in space kind of reference here. Uh, Zero almost kind of reminded me a bit of um, of the B9 robot in Lost in Space. Uh, you know the kind of the way they treated him a bit. Sometimes he talked back a little bit, uh, not too much, just just a few times. But he was he kind of he was there to kind of do things that they normally couldn't do. So that was some kind of interesting things about the series. Um, I guess now I'll just kind of made me summarize the series here, summarize my thoughts on the series a bit. Um, like say, the series lasted for one season. I found the first half of the series to be a bit stronger than, the, or the, of the season a bit stronger than the second half. first half seemed to have kind of some more arcs, you know, with uh, Dr. Heller and her uh, communications with the, uh, the council, and then their. All the stuff with um, Gaul and then uh, Yuli and the Tarians. And then the second half kind of got into some more kind of standalone episodes. Um, uh, some were all right, a few eh, not so good. But uh, overall, the series was very good. I felt it uh, shouldn't have been canceled. Uh, you know, certainly shouldn't have been canceled and should have got another season. Um, kind of near the end of the series, like they kind of ended it on a cliffhanger. Um, they'd run across some people from uh, a previous expedition which were kind of in a cold sleep and then um they learned some more about the uh the council and kind of their uh, council's interest in the uh, in the planet but they kind of ended the show kind of on a cliffhanger in that uh Devin adair had uh, had gotten some sort of illness and uh they were unable to um unable to cure it and they'd put her into a kind of into a cold sleep um in one of the uh one of the ships that uh the other uh other kind of previous uh, council people had been using, they put her in this cold sleep because they couldn't cure the uh, the illness. Instead of her dying, they just put her in a cold sleep and then try and figure out how to uh, cure her. And kind of this was kind of done for two reasons. One, the producers wanted to um, force the network's hand, and B, uh, uh, the lady Deborah Ferentino, who played Devon Adair, she was pregnant, so they needed kind of a reason if they came back for a second season, a reason. When she wasn't around for the first few episodes, um, you know, because she was uh, pregnant or giving birth, they, they needed some sort of reason to kind of not have her in the episodes. And this was the reason. There was talk that they were going to do another season, but that the uh, NBC and uh, Universal, who um, were kind of the um, production company and, uh, and the station or the broadcaster, they wanted to kind of dumb down the second season of Earth 2 and kind of change it around. And the producers, they weren't too happy about that. They didn't want, they didn't really want to change the format of it. So, um, I guess, uh, they, they were fired. I guess they, they fired, um, the producers from the series because they didn't want to change, change the format. But, uh, in the end they decided not to, uh, do a second season. And, um, you know, I'm kind of on the fence on that. Um, part of me is kind of sad that they didn't do a second season, but, uh, the other part of me is, is if they would have really changed the format of the show and kind of dumbed it down, then it wouldn't have really been the same. This is pretty well wraps up my talk about Earth 2. Um, uh, Rick Moyer here has some uh, comments, so we'll just play his comments.
4: Well, hi there, Jeff. This is Rick from Aberdeen. and. Uh in the background, you can hear a little bit of Earth 2 playing because uh, we were kind of refamiliarizing ourselves with the with the uh, series. Hey, thanks a lot for doing this for Rico. I think it's awesome. And I remember when Earth 2 first aired, and uh, we watched it um, via VHS tape. I taped it at my grandma's house when she was still living, and we didn't have a cable, so we would tape it, and then we'd go grab it from the timer, and, and we watch it, and we watched it faithfully and really, really enjoyed this series. Um, I think some of my favorite things on I, I really liked having Tim Curry on there. I thought that was just awesome because I just I just like him as a as an actor. Uh, we really liked the Grendlers and the Slobber and all that stuff and I just thought it was really cool. They they were kind of ahead of their time as far as special effects and stuff because you know they would have stuff like on their um they would be seeing things through their eyes and it was it, you know it was this digital technology and holographic holographic stuff and just, I just thought the blend of characters was great. It was, it was um, some very dramatic moments in the series, in particular when Julia, the Doctor. Uh, spoiler alert here: um, when they left, when they found out that she was, you know, not everything that she said she was, and then she, and then they left her. And it was just, it was so dramatic, and you just felt for the for the characters. What an incredible idea: uh, a penal colony in the middle of space. And things go wrong, and then they're out there by themselves, and just just the plot twists, and just fantastic, really, really good stuff. I like the aliens on the planet, and the, just the mysterious mysticism kind of involved in their uh, in their characters, and it, just, it was just great. It, you never really knew what to expect. One of my favorite episodes was the one where um, the guy had the bullets that drilled into your body. That was that was just so scary and so cool. So anyway, I liked Earth Two my wife liked Earth 2 I don't know if the kids were old enough to remember it I, they're watching it now on Netflix on the computer as we speak so uh, anyway there you go Earth 2 very very cool show and uh, I wish they would have continued to do more maybe they'll do something in the future I don't know but anyway great
0: series and thanks Jeff for everything you're doing uh, have a great day thanks Rick for your comments um, always greatly appreciated uh, you're a great friend to the podcast um, and a great friend to myself so I, I really appreciate your your comments are. Rick on Earth 2. A few things about Earth 2 as well. If you'd like to see it, uh, it's available on uh, DVD. So you can pick up the uh, complete uh, series, uh, the whole season one on DVD. It's available at Amazon. Uh, I think it's it's been out for a couple of years now so you, you should probably still be able to find it. Uh, it's probably not too expensive either. So anyways that kind of uh, wraps up my talk about Earth 2. I'd like to thank Rico again. For giving me this chance to uh, guest host a podcast. It was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed talking about Earth 2. I hope uh, hope you all uh, kind of enjoyed enjoyed it as well. Or at least uh, learned something about Earth 2 if you hadn't watched it. Uh, again, if you have any questions or comments uh, you'd like to, to make about this podcast. Uh, just um, post in the forums. Uh, like I say, I'm on the forums. My uh, username is Jedi Jeff. So you can either just post a thread or you can uh, PM me uh, if you have any any comments about uh, this podcast you want to make and again uh, thanks Rico for letting me guest host this podcast and I'd like to uh, wish everyone a very uh, happy new year and happy 2009 and uh, bye for now